what is the gospel is the first question. And think about it. It seems a silly question in some regards. I mean, most of you profess Christ, you're Christians, right? It'd be like asking a plumber what a pipe is or um, a vet what a dog is. Um, What the gospel is should be built into our DNA. But if you're like me, many of us struggle to put right words when the time comes when people ask us for the hope that we believe in. And tonight, I hope to give you kind of an easy way to share the gospel with somebody that appeals with the audience, that that keeps the audience in line. So Greg Gilbert, in his book, What is the Gospel?, gives a few answers people give to him about what the gospel is. The first answer people give him is, the gospel is that God will forgive your sins if you believe in him. That's the gospel. Two, the gospel, the good news, is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Three, the gospel is that you're a child of God, and God wants his children to be abundantly successful in every way. Okay? So some might mention the cross at some point, but then how does that fit in with everything else? How do we find the central location on the map? When are we coming? When we're, how, how do we find the central location on the map when we're coming from so many different starting points with people? So we have to look at the right map to find the gospel. So GPSs are amazing. So many of you have grown up in a world where you've never not had a GPS on your phone, right? So when I was growing up, when I got my first car, what came with my first car was a map of the city of Charlotte, okay? And Charlotte is not like Texas, okay? Texas is mostly laid out in the grid like someone who has order. Charlotte was laid out on game trails that the settlers used. So it all was in valleys and old runs that Indians used to use to trade with the settlers. So no joke. And unfortunately, whoever named the roads, in my opinion, was probably drunk at the time, because I swear you'd be going down Providence, suddenly that same road would turn into King Road, which would turn into Queens Road, which would then become Providence again seven lights later. It was infuriating. The first month I lived in Charlotte, we literally drove around the first two weekends just to get lost so that we could be found. Right? It was nuts. But you need, if I had a good GPS, I'm fine. It doesn't freak me out. I actually know north, south, east, and which I know which way to go. Okay? So before you had it on your cell phone device, they used to sell these things called GPS units that you would put in your car. Okay, we had a Garmin, me and Corey. (laughs) So when Corey and I, we planned a second honeymoon to go to Ireland, okay? We saved up, we were in seminary, we said we're going to save up for three years while we're in seminary, and we're going to reward ourselves to a trip to the Greenland, okay, after the end of it. So every month, we'd put away 50 bucks here, 75 bucks there, 50 bucks here. At the end of three years, we had enough money to spend 10 days in Ireland. And you know how cheap we are, right? So we made sure we rented a car, manual of course, because we're not paying that much money for an automatic. Um, But we did splurge and download the Irish maps on our GPS. So we went to Ireland with a GPS unit. It was a one of the best decisions we've ever made. So once there, we got picked up our rental car. 
and I would be driving stick for the first time. Right, this is my first time driving stick. Not only am I driving stick for the first time, I, I had practice in parking lots, so I'm, I'm good. I'm driving stick on the wrong side. So they drive on the right, so I'm now shifting with my left as we go through the countryside. Um, well, before we left, we knew we had a few things against us, hence why we got the maps. Um, so we got our car at 6.30 a.m. Irish time, having slept maybe four hours on the trip from Boston. Boston to Ireland is not as long as you think. We thought we'd have like eight hours and some Benadryl to knock us out on the plane. Four hours later, the Benadryl was still in our system, and we had landed in Ireland. Um, and we had to wait till at least noon to check into our hotel to get an afternoon nap in. So we asked if there was a place to visit to kill some time after we landed in Shannon, Ireland. So this is nice lady at the airport, and she said the Cliffs of Moher. She said it's only a 45-minute drive. She is a liar. She is a 6.30 a.m. Irish liar. Two hours and 15 minutes later, we arrived. I'm, I am not kidding when I say this. We are on a one-lane dirt road with sheep here and here and a lighthouse here and the cliffs somewhere in between, right? And we arrive at the cliffs of Moore and we don't even get out. We're exhausted. We literally fall asleep in the car. We don't even care because it has been the worst. It, that, that united our marriage so much, those two hours of screaming and driving and learning how to drive on the wrong side of the road. Um, that united us as a couple. Um, but the key is, even though it was absurd, right? The roads were so tiny. We're in a field. We're on a one-way dirt road with sheep to our right and our left. We trusted the GPS. And at the end of the day, the GPS got us to the cliffs of more. That we trusted the authority, and the GPS got us there. The same question must be asked when we're dealing with the question, what is the gospel? As Christians, we rely on scripture, the Bible, to answer that question. If you remember from our previous lessons, everyone has an authority that they appeal to. We've learned that over the course of the first, really, four months of going through apologetics. You either appeal to a materialistic authority, a personal authority, or a spiritual authority. Sometimes those things are one and the same. But everyone appeals to an authority. And for Christians, we appeal to Scripture, or at least we should appeal to Scripture, as our authority. The Westminster Confession of Faith deals with this in question two. Think about it. That's early on. Number two. What rule hath God given to direct us? how we may glorify and enjoy him. The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. So why does the Westminster, and why do I, when I speak what, about what is the gospel, answer the question about, be, about, about authority being at the beginning? Why do I do that? Because if you get the authority question wrong, our direction can be so skewed. That's how we get cults. Because the authority question is knocked off the rails from the beginning. 
if you hold to a church tradition, if you hold that church tradition explains what the gospel is, then you will look to the wisdom of men to answer your question. And if you believe in the authority is reflected in your experience, then you will definitely answer the question differently. But either you rely on the thoughts of men or you rely on the word of God. 2 Timothy says that all scripture is breathed out by God. So we need to look to scripture to see what God says the good news is. So how do we do that? We can't go to a specific book and say, well, this is the gospel. It answers it right here, right? John, you know, 57.1. What is the gospel? The gospel is, it doesn't exist, right? So how do we do it? You have to remember that most of scripture is a narrative. It's a full story, right? It's not a checklist. As someone who has OCD, I want a checklist. I necessarily don't want this narrative, but God gives us a narrative. So what is the good news and the narrative that should be proclaimed to all mankind? Paul, in Romans 1 through 4, gives us a great step-by-step breakdown of what the gospel is. Through this section, Paul gives us four leading points. One, Paul tells his readers that it is God who is responsible, or it is to God that they are accountable. God is the center of it all. You're accountable to him, and he created you. Two, Paul tells his readers that the problem is that they rebelled against God. That's the problem. Any good you know, screenplay writer will tell you the problem has to be introduced early in the story. And in our story, our narrative, the problem is introduced early in the story. Namely that we sin against a holy God. Three, Paul says that God's solution to humanity's sin is the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It all points to Jesus, right? So there's God, there's man, there's a problem, there's Christ. And then fourth, Paul tells his readers how they themselves can be included in salvation. Our response comes into play in in light of the grand narrative. The structure that keeps coming up throughout the New Testament, and I would argue almost all the Old Testament is this. God, man, Christ, response. And in the Old Testament... We didn't call him Christ, we called him Messiah, right? So if you want to go, you can go God, man, Messiah response. Because they were looking forward and we were looking back. Right? So say that with me. God, man, Man. Christ, Christ. response. Again, this is broken down as Paul writes to the uh, Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to uh, Caiaphas and then to the twelve. So what should have stood out to you within that passage is those four things I just said. It's all about God, man, Christ and the people of Corinthians' response to the message. It's all there. Peter Peter does the same in Acts 2. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. While it isn't as systematically laid out as Paul, it's all there. Peter is assuming God. 
He's preaching to man about Christ and demanding that they respond to the message. Now, now comes your audience, right? As an actor, one of the first things they tell you is you have to know your audience. If you don't, certain things won't be funny or won't make sense. So if someone, it, it, so if it is someone who believes in God, then you might not have to spend much time on the God section. And if they don't, you'll have to spend more time there. That's why we spent so much time discussing materialism over the course of the past two months. Because if someone who doesn't believe in God, you need to have those facts handy so that you can have a good conversations with them to lead them to the light that there is a creator. But if they already believe in God, which, believe it or not, the majority of Americans do. And believe it or not, the majority of teenagers, when asked the right way, believe in some sort of deity or the afterlife. Then you don't get to spend much time there. It's knowing your audience. God, man, Christ responds. If they think that man is by nature good, which unfortunately you'll get this even with some Christians, first go tell them to volunteer in the nursery for a month. And they will see that man is evil. Those little suckers care about them. And that's it. Right? Media was in there today. You attest. Right? Okay? Um, then you will spend more time on the problem man faces, that they've rebelled against God. Because there are some people that truly believe they can be good. But then when you ask them why they make the same mistake over and over and over and over again, they're faced with reality or the red pill. Christ as solution is always the best part of our message. Depending on your audience, you can spend a sentence or a couple minutes explaining how much Christ has impacted your life. That should be an easy one. I love going to church. I love being in the world. I love being with Jesus. If you're a Christian, I hope that that isn't that hard of a response to talk about. And as you age with Christ, I can promise you it becomes easier and easier. Finally, we are called to respond to this message. What will you do with it? And everyone does something with the message. Everyone does something with the message of the gospel. They either say yes or no, or they wait on the fence. Let me explain a story about waiting on the fence. Some of you have heard this analogy before, and it needs to be said. It's one of those analogies that I think everyone needs to pick up. There's a story of three men who are waiting on the fence. Um, one, sitting on a fence is uncomfortable, but they're sitting on it. Okay? And two people come up to each side of the fence. One is Jesus and one is the devil, right? And one pleads the case that I am the God-man who has come to save the sins of the world. And the devil says, no, you're going to have more fun with me at the end of the day, right? You should be on my side of the fence. So the first person says, right, I like Jesus, right? I'm amazed by Jesus. He gets off the fence and he goes on the side of the fence with Jesus. The second person says, you know... I like this flesh stuff, right? Like this, 
maybe doesn't make me happy long term, but in the moment, ah, it feels great, right? Because no one sins because it sucks, right? We sin because, well, it kind of gives us a buzz for a short while, right? And so they hang out with the devil on this side of the fence. And the third person sits there and he goes, well, I kind of like the fence. I kind of like being in between. And Jesus pleads. He says, no, the fence is no place for you. You should be home with me. And the devil says, no, you know, you should come and hang out with me. And again, He says, or she says, if you want to make it um, gender neutral or whatever, right? Like, they say, I want to stay on the fence. And the story ends like this. The devil comes up to the person on the fence and he tells, I own the fence too. An indecision is always a decision. It is. And that's not just with the gospel. That is every area of life. As the sooner you learn that as teenagers, the sooner you will begin to take control of your own lives. Because your indecisions at times, not at times, all indecisions are a decision not to do something. So make the call. How will you respond to the gospel? 